How's everybody doing? Well, that's a, a, a big welcome from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Go Tigers. Boo and boo me off the stage. We had a decent year this year, huh? Anybody, any football, any football fans? I, I was not expecting that. Of course, I hate to lose anyway. Period. Um, I, I'm a big LSU fan because we moved to Baton Rouge in 2008 for me to finish school, so I worked at LSU. And our kids are kind of integrated. Uh, LSU has a laboratory school, so we send our kids off to LSU for them to experiment on our children every day. Um, so we're kind of integrated in that Louisiana LSU Baton Rouge culture. But it really is good to be, to be with you. I am a psychologist. I am a weirdo. I, it's, uh, most of it's just because I'm a little bit of a nerd. Um, but to try to be as down to earth as possibly can. And what I, what I want out of tonight and out of tomorrow morning is for you to be able to take, take some things away with you that are meaningful. Not just regarding what to do, but getting encouraged on how to think and ask the right kinds of questions. Because as it, I don't know about you, the more that I learn, the more I realize I don't know. So I, you know, I had a mentor that said education is just meant to um, serve people. And if you have to fall back on your education to win an argument, you probably lost it already. Um, I'm not really coming in as an expert. I'm coming in with a knowledge base. And I'm in the trenches with you. Been married 20 years. We've got three kids, 13, uh, 12, and 9. I do a lot of work with parents and kids from uh, all sorts of ages, uh, adult children. So some of my experience as a psychologist is going to come into play with that. But... We should have a pretty good time. Sound good? So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll just show you a few uh, slides that I think are really, really important to, to, to kick off uh, where we are. Lord, we love you, and I, I pray that as we spend time together that you speak to me and through me, and that we walk away with something that helps change us first, and then it moves into our parenting. And... Um, Lord, I pray for our families and our kids that there is a great grace and your empowering presence to be who you have called us to be, then do what you have called us to do as parents. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, yeah, let's get that first slide up there real quick. I think this is um, the next one. Anybody? I'm a, you say I'm a teacher? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how many times I said that before I actually had kids, but I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm paying for it. Um, especially when the, you know, I've been on staff. I left psychology full time for a while. So I was a pastor on staff at our church for several years before I went back to psychology. So I got like a double whammy. I'm like the pastor and the psychologist kid. My youngest, uh, I, I hope he never watches this. My youngest got booted out of our kids' ministry for a few weeks. And I was like, oh, sweet Jesus, help me. The pastor and the psychologist kid's going nuts. But it, it's part of what makes Jude, my youngest, amazing is just his energy. Um, he also had to take a break from kids' ministry for a little while. But uh, <laughs> so show that next one. These are some of my, my favorites. 
That junk's funny right there, guys. I don't know. Any of you still in that young kid stage? Yeah. Anybody remember that stage? You got older kids? Yeah. Give me another one. Let's keep them coming. (laughs) That may not be appropriate, but it is funny. Because I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but it would be every one of us, I think. <laughs> She's like, yeah, that's history. We got one more up there? This is one of my favorites. Hey, I'm not knocking homeschool moms, but God bless you. If you're a homeschool mom, you're a homeschool dad, you probably relate to this more than any of <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, is that the last one? I think that is the last one. Throw up the next slide. Yeah, it is. You can leave that slide up there. Man, parenting, um, again, my wife and I have been married for 20 years, um, which... Praise God for the 20. I'm, I'm married to an amazing woman. I wish she could be here tonight. We had some, some family health issues with our parents. Anybody getting older and your parents getting older and watching them age can be difficult. And some of you have already been through that and lost your parents. We're kind of in that stage right now. Um, so she was not able to be here to be able to be a good mom and take care, take care of our kids. So she sends greetings from Baton Rouge. But we've been married 20 years, uh, have our three kids, um, and it, it's a journey We're operating on pure air and caffeine because it doesn't matter what you know with your head. When you're in the trenches of parenting, it's chaos. It, it, it's like blood, snot, everything. You know, it's, it, we're just in it. And um, so I want to I give you a few disclaimers before we get into this. I am a psychologist. I, am, I get in the trenches with people. That's what I do. So anytime... Any, anything that I do from a platform, I feel like the, God has been dealing with me about this, but anything that I do from a platform comes from, from my time in the trenches, personally, and it comes from my time walking this thing out with, with people. So I kind of teach that way. So we'll laugh, we'll have a good time. I also tend to cry sometimes. I may do that too. I'm not ashamed of it. So if you need to tear up, go ahead. I, I may come give you a hug, and then we'll just keep on going. Not really, I won't hug you. That'd be really weird. Uh, I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> no, I won't hug you. Maybe the person next to you can give you a pat on the shoulder, encouragement. Um, but uh, so we may, we may kind of rabbit trail a little bit. We'll always come back. There's a structure here, but I really want to be sure that I leave you with something that's meaningful. Um, values-based parenting, a lot of you sit in, several amazing questions, and I'm actually going to try between tonight and mostly tomorrow to get to almost every question I possibly can, because I think if you're asking a particular question, somebody else probably has that same question, but I'm going to, we're going to wait a little bit to get to those questions because there's a principle, and the principle is what you seek first organizes the rest of your life. I heard this from a fellow named Bob Hamp. He's here in Texas, out, out, out of the Dallas area. 
But the, what you seek first organizes the rest of your life. Jesus says it this way. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear, but seek first the kingdom of God and being right in relationship with him and everything else will be added to you. He's, he's basically, he's not saying don't, we're not going to ignore the things we're worried about, but we've got to shift our focus so that when we pay attention to the struggle, there's something else organizing our lives that's more powerful than the struggle. It gives us a different perspective on it. And if we dove in right now and I started giving you behavioral ideas on what to do, the chaos is still organizing the answer. Does that make sense? So what I want to spend some time doing with values-based parenting is giving you a broader framework, helping us ask the right kinds of questions. And listen, it is never too late to start practicing this. If you have adult children and you have grandkids now, it's not too late. For me, thinking from a values-based perspective is about changing our legacy. It's a kingdom mindset. And so what we seek first organizes the rest of our lives. So I want to be sure that we get into um, this uh, broader model and then come back. So I'm not going to ignore the questions, but we're going to start with a bigger principle. How does that sound? Um, Also, values-based parenting is a model that I really feel like and and believe as a psychologist that any other parenting strategy can be built on it. So if you can operate from a values-based perspective in your parenting, if your kid has a particular struggle, then we can add on top of that. But just because my kid has ADHD doesn't mean I don't want to impart values and still hold him responsible for things, right? He may have an additional struggle, And that may foster empathy and explain some things, but it doesn't act as an excuse. And understanding those and the dynamics there is really, really important in in parenting. Um, We good? All right. Before we dive into this, I want to actually give you a framework that we're going to come back to and come back to and come back to and come back to. And this framework is called the anatomy of an experience. And I'm going to write as neatly as I can. Can everybody see that okay? That's terrible, isn't it? (laughs) All right. It'll be legible coming through here. What I'm about to draw for you, we're going to keep coming back to it. It's called the anatomy of every single experience we have. Every experience you have has thoughts, not what you should think, not what your kids should think, what they actually think. Anybody ever want to take your kid out? Mm Mm-hmm. If you didn't raise your hands, you're lying. No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Your thought life. Every single experience we have has behavioral tendencies. Not what we should do, but what we want to do or actually do. Every experience we have has emotions. Now, emotions are the affective, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E, affective nature of our experiences that stamp our experiences with meaning. This is going to be important in parenting 
Because every emotion that we have is actually communicating something to us. Anger, for example, is a sign that a boundary line has been crossed or a value has been violated or an expectation has not been met. So if you don't, so sometimes we want our kids to just shove anger away, but if we don't help them learn how to give a language to what they feel emotionally and then, and then figure out what boundary got crossed or value got violated or expectation, it, then they'll never really know if it's arbitrary or legitimate. Right? Now, as a kid, if I lose a balloon, that's legitimate. You know? But teaching our kids how to do this can be really, really helpful. Understanding emotional states. Every experience we have also has neurophysiological correlates. In other words, it's connected to the body. If your kid's throwing a tantrum, somebody asked this question. If your kid's pitching a fit, we have a tendency to mirror the fit, right? So what happens is my kid loses it, I lose it, but a lot of younger kids don't actually have the capacity to calm themselves down. So if they see us frustrated, it continues to dysregulate their autonomic nervous system. They just go until they burn out. And so teaching our kids skill sets on how to calm their bodies down first before they ever get to the thoughts to be able to talk about it can be really, really, really helpful. We can talk through all of those things. All of these, your thoughts, your behaviors, your emotions, your body, happen within the context of the environment, which is the settings that we're in, circumstances, which are what's happening in those settings, and setting events. Setting events are all the things that have happened in the background of our lives or in the history of our lives that increase or decrease the likelihood that a particular experience will happen. For example, I love Christmas. I listen to Christmas music all year. You can laugh at me if you want to, but there's some high-quality Christmas albums out there that deserve to be listened to on a regular basis. High-quality. Yes, come on. In fact, I just got a new, anybody listen to vinyls? We got vinyl people out there? I just got a new Audio-Technica um, uh, vinyl player for Christmas, and I, I'm, I'm still happy about that thing. I, um, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, my other one broke. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'm a big, big vinyl fan, but uh, where was I going with that? Christmas music, I got so excited, it threw me off. Christmas. My family history, so many positive experiences for Christmas, it set me up to have positive Christmases. But a lot of you hear me say that, and you're like, that dude's an idiot. Because a lot of the experiences that you had through Christmas did not set you up. There's disappointment. There's loss. I walk with a lot of people who've lost loved ones through the Christmas season. It reminds them of grief. And there's so many things that can set us up. That's what setting events do. If you're a teacher... You got a 10-year-old that comes, somebody looks at him funny, punches him in the face, and it's like, what are you doing? He gets in trouble. It's like you've you got, well, he's like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm at school, and the kid looked at me funny, and I felt fire in my body, and I got angry, and I was thinking, you don't look at me that way, and then I punch him in the face, and he gets in trouble, and he gets suspended, but we don't stop and ask what's going on in the background of his life. We don't remember that his parents' significant other been physically abusing him for the past six months. 
Setting events. We have setting events. Our kids have setting events. And paying attention to these things is really, really important and beginning to understand and foster an awareness of how to lean in as parents. Does that make sense? All right. We'll keep coming back to this and keep coming back to this as we walk through this process. Um, Parenting. What comes up for you when you hear the word parenting? Did somebody say fear? <laughs> shout, shout it out for me. What comes up when you hear this idea of parenting? <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> Just get eaten on yeah. That is... Yeah, you're herding velociraptors. <laughs> it, it's funny, when you ask a group of parents what it's like to parent, almost every single time this happens, we laugh, we talk about our pain points, our horror stories, because um, there's a, a unifying element to it. Um, but I think we would all also agree that parenting is one of the most amazing things that we can possibly do. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. And parenting is less about you doing something and more about you being someone. Let that sink in for just a minute. It taught you patience. Yep. Yeah, it can teach us a whole lot more sometimes than what we teach our kids, huh? Parenting is about you, it's more about you being than it is about you doing and who it flowing from who you, you are. Um, obviously, parenting is challenging. When I go through some of these questions, let me pull some of these questions up. How to embrace what's going on in the world instead of talking about horrible, the, all the horrible things. How do you do that with your kids? What are daily declarations to make over our children? How do we pray for our kids? Um, as parents, we're supposed to take care of children, our children's health and their safety and their education, but how do we do this if, people, if, there, if there's manipulative behavior or, con, or control? Does our relationships with our parents or siblings have an impact on how we parent our kids? The answer is yes. Um, how does comparing your children to another, one, another kid affect them? How do I help my kid with ADHD? How to build a good structure for my kids, communication. How do I discipline them but not punish them? How do I respond to my toddler's temper tantrums that are reflections of Jesus Christ? Good luck with that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you figure that out, let me know. How to deal with the pressures of social media and cyber influence on our kids. How to parent children that are young adults leaving for college. Our babies are being introduced to things like, uh, like, uh, like sexual stuff and content at such young ages. I, I didn't even know were a thing until I was an adult. How do I help them do that without being judgmental? Insight on being more structured and talking to my son about sex, the do's and the don'ts. Dealing with empty nesting. I mean, I could keep going, but you, these probably resonate with all of us, 
if not most of us. And we can feel the struggle in that because as amazing as parenting is, there's chaos in it. Especially in a culture that feels like it's all over the place. And um, a lot of times it can feel like the chaos of the culture is organizing our home life. And we're just trying to keep our head above water and keep up with what's going on. (laughs) So children end up learning the rules of how the world works from culture, but also from parents. And one of the most powerful tools that we have as parents is we're mirrors. When children look at us, they see an identity in what we reflect back to them. And so it's like, how do we reflect back and help shape how our kids think, what they believe about themselves, how they feel about themselves within a context of this cultural chaos and bombardment? So I want to take a little bit of time and walk you through... um, Again, this is a little bit of an of a, of a offshoot, but I, I, I want to take a minute and explain what I believe the core self is and what we're reflecting back to our kids. Is everybody with me? All right. Every single one of us has a core self. It, it doesn't matter what you call it. Um, psychology sometimes kind of hijacks that word, but every one of us has a core self, and I believe it's biblical that we have a core self. You see the reality of that in nouns, pronouns, implied use. When the scriptures say, take off the old man, put on the new man, the power of God provides the new man for us and the power to take off the old, but we still have to participate. There's something in you and in me that participates with God in the advancement of his kingdom in the earth as we declare the love of Jesus to other people. As we live that thing out. In, in the, you know, theologically, we call that sanctification. We are participating in the ongoing aspect of our salvation. Is everybody with me? And when this core of who we are comes alive again in Jesus, this is the core of who we are that has the capacity to be loving and present and, um, and connected and curious about experiences, which is going to be very, very, very important when we're talking about parenting, So we don't get sucked into an experience. We get curious about an experience. All of these things are connected to the core self. And ideally, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this yellow or not. Nope. Let me choose a different color. We'll go go green. Can you see that better? Ideally, the Holy Spirit fills us up. Everybody with me? And helps the core self lead all of the different identity parts of who we are. What do I mean by that? Well, I am a son, I'm a father, I'm a husband. I'm a friend, I'm a sibling, 
psychologist, so on. The right parent up there. I could keep going, right? And so all of these different parts of who I am come together to make up the whole as I'm filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. But every single one of these parts of who we are have their own unique experiences. That's why some people can be amazing parents, terrible spouses. Let that sink in for just a minute. Amazing uh, um, employees, terrible parents. It's because all of these different parts of who we are carry different belief systems and thoughts about how to interact with the world. For example, if I'm married, been married 20 years, and I'm committed to my wife, but I'm carrying this belief in me that women can't be trusted and my wife is not really for me, that's going to sabotage my capacity to connect and grow with my wife. If I'm, if I'm carrying a belief that my dad never loved me, so who I am as a son never really got worked out, then I'm actually going to parent out of my insecurities and try to make my kids happy instead of just loving them well, disciplining them, shaping them, fathering them. Who I am to them is being birthed from the wounded aspects of these different parts if I'm not being filled with the Spirit and leading these parts well. Is everybody with me on that? That's why you can feel, anybody ever feel like you're losing your mind? And you've got, you're like, I've got a part of me that really wants to lean in and do this. And then I've got another part of me that wants to be like, you're an idiot. I don't ever want to do that again. And you've got this polarization inside of you. And it's like, ah, I love my kid, but I brought you into this world. <laughs> Woo, somebody. We call those polarized parts in psychology. They're all you. And as parents, we're going to talk about self-leadership. As parents, this is the ideal. We've got to be filled with the Spirit and engage our core selves to get curious about the different aspects of our experiences of who we are as parents so that we don't parent from the chaos. We parent from these core values and these other aspects of who we are that are more meaningful right? There's, there's, more, there's more to this that we may get into later about parts. Um, when identity parts aren't able to be led by the Holy Spirit or by the self, they can fracture and start doing weird things to protect us from pain. And so I may have a part of me as a parent that tries to be a caretaker and protect my children but I'm doing that because I don't want them to experience pain inadvertently sabotaging their growth, right? But I'm doing it because I'm hurting. That's a, it's a broader conversation. We don't have time for that, but I'm just planting some seeds if you're interested in diving into some of that. And if you want to get curious about the different parts of who you are as you parent, ask this one question. Hmm, a part of me, fill in the blank, Think about this for a minute. I want you to think about your kids. Think about, go through each kid. 
And as you think about that kid, notice the different parts of who you are. How do you feel about that child? What, do you th- what thoughts come up for you as you think about that child? Love? Just like me? <laughs> yeah, your, your face, that, there's, there's, it looks like there's some mixed uh, <laughs> emotions there. Maybe I'm misreading you, but it's just kind of funny. You're just like me, yeah. yeah. Oh, thought it's a hand. Confusion. Here's the deal as parents. If we push away the parts of us that we don't like to feel towards our kids, we'll never really understand what's going on with us in our relationship with our kids. So as your kids get older, there are going to be times where you're confused, you're frustrated with them. Those are real parts of you. And if you can pay attention to what's going on in you instead of shoving that away, I've had feelings toward my kids that I don't want to admit. Like, I don't, I don't like admitting that there are times I haven't liked my kids. But there's a real part of me. It's not all of me. All these other parts that love my kids, sacrifice for my kids, do these amazing things, but I've got a part of me that doesn't like my kid. I can either shove that part away because I'm not supposed to feel that, wherever that rule comes from, or I can bring that part to the table of my life, sit that part down and go, what's going on in my life that I'm having a hard time with my kid? I'm reacting. I'm, I'm reacting to my kid instead of responding. Like, what is going on? Is everybody with me? Is this making sense? All right. We had not even really gotten to the parenting stuff yet. But these are really, really important frameworks that we'll keep coming back to. So as we talk about values-based parenting as a whole, I want you to ask yourself a few of these questions. What, there's a part of me that experiences joy and amazing positive emotions, but there's also a part of me that's really struggling with my kid. What's going on in me? And if we can ask those questions first, It's going to be unbelievable to get the wisdom that we need, especially when we invite the Holy Spirit in to take that next step. And sometimes we get steps that we didn't know to take because we're paying attention to what's going on in us. Are we good? All right. Let me come back. So so, um, ultimately, values guide what we reflect to our kids, and these parts are operating from a bunch of different values. So when you get into values-based parenting, it is an intentional approach to raising kids from a core set of defined values. That's it. That's what values-based parenting is. And I'm placing the emphasis on two words, intentional and defined, because I I think um, we all parent from values whether we realize it or not. Every single thing that we do comes from a value system, even if it's comfort and survival. Everything we do comes from a value system. If we yell because we're frustrated, it comes from the value of needing peace. Does that make sense? I need, I need peace. I need every, everything we do comes from a value system. So being able to say this thing out loud is really, really, really important. And it comes back to this, this sense of what you seek first organizes the rest of your life. We can seek behavioral solutions first and still be organized by the chaos, or we can take a step back, ask higher order questions, and then lean into the behavioral interventions based on a value system that's bigger than our pain in any given moment. Sign me up for that. But it's not not easy, but it's worth it. 
Are we good? So I, I think like values bring ownership. Um, they bring order. There's a lot of things that values do in helping. Values help foster self-leadership in our kids. Because if your kid can start to understand the value systems, you, have to, you don't have to explain the behaviors as much as you just connect those behaviors to a set of values. And the older that they get, the more that they realize, I'm not wrestling with wondering what I should do or not. I'm connected to a higher order set of values and can judge what to do based on these value systems from which I live and operate. It's a long-term vision for how we parent. Is everybody with me? Um, even if you don't realize it. Yeah. Somebody asked a question about how do we help our kids engage culture well. One of the ways to do that is to discern what the values are driving the cultural chaos. And and you don't necessarily have to start there. Where we start is to go, who are we as believers, as Christians? And, you know, um, what value systems are coming from the scriptures and from these broader contexts of health and growth, and how do I let those things organize my life, then engage the the chaos? But yes, everything comes from a set of values, a set of presuppositions about what's true and what should be happening. Um, So that when you you think about a values-based parenting model, it starts with values, mentoring, and affirmation. When you need to deal out consequences because there's been a violation, you can, and we're going to go over that tomorrow. But what we're going to do with our time, the rest of our time tonight, is just lean in and start talking through values, mentoring, and affirmation. So if you're following me in the workbook, um, I'm down to page four on values. A value is an overarching principle that, that drives who we are, how we think, and what we do. A value is an overarching principle that drives who we are, how we think, and what we do. It represents whatever underlying belief system we have that governs how we see the world, how we treat others, how we treat ourselves. They're not optional accessories. They're innate they're just a part of who we are. Um, they, it, they shape every aspect of who we are, of what we do, of our culture. So we know, so if we know that these values are important and they guide our belief systems, we know that we've got to start paying attention to them. But there's also several different types of values. One type of value are fundamental values. Fundamental values are just innate like overarching principles that govern humanity as a whole, and two of them are survival and comfort. Think about that. The value of survival and the value of comfort. These overarching um, approaches to life. And I think, and I do, we do a lot of missions work, so work with people in a lot of different countries. 
and I've seen this in every country I work with, I think this is a transcultural issue. If we aren't careful, our ultimate mission and value system is to maximize comfort, minimize pain. Just think about that for a minute. It may look different in different cultures, but in, in, in terms of how it manifests behaviorally, but the ultimate goal in human nature is to maximize comfort, minimize pain. And if that is the overarching principle that's guiding who we are, how we think, and what we do, we're inadvertently sabotaging growth in our lives and in our kids' lives. Whew. And listen, I want to survive, right? But if survival and thriving are in competition, thriving will always lose. We will revert back into survival and doing everything we can to maximize comfort. We drift towards it. It's like being at the beach and you look up 20 minutes and realize you're 250 yards down the beach. That's exactly what happens in life if we aren't being super intentional about our core values. Another kind of values are societal values. So you've got these broad, like, um, sort of fundamental values that are connected to all of humanity, but you also have societal values. Two societal values, that especially that keep running into each other in our culture, are the values of individualism and the values of collectivism. These are two values that just keep running into each other. They don't have to be at odds. But when they're unspoken, you start operating from unhealthy belief systems connected to these values where you, you, you focus on the system but not the individual or you focus on the individual and not the system and you've got these two competing societal worldviews. Poof, 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 when in fact, they actually both go together. Um, another set of values are aspirational values. Aspirational values are just the values that you want in your life but you're not willing to sacrifice or suffer for them. Because ultimately, if a value is a core value, core values guide our behaviors in ways that basically you're willing to sacrifice and suffer for them. Think about that for a minute. If you aren't willing to sacrifice for a value, it's not core. That's why it's funny to me. It's like, I think it was Brian Regan. You guys, uh, comedy fans, you know Brian Regan? Was he the one that was like... um, like somebody's running for office and he's like, integrity or something on the sign. He's like, so, so we're, we're differentiating our politicians now by integ- integrity as a core value. He's like, help me understand what's going on right now. Because on the other side of the road, it's dishonesty is my core value. Like, who's going to say that, right? But how many times do you see organizations, for example, that have integrity up as a core value? And then the next thing you know, there's somebody in the organization who wrote the values laundering money. They're not willing to suffer for that. Cutting corners on billing. You know, my, my practice, I told my billing specialist, I said, listen, I said, if you ever, ever have a question about whether to bill someone and make less money or bump up the billing code and make a little bit more, always bill for the less. And you, know, that's, you sound crazy. It's like, it's called integrity. 
does it hurt sometimes? Yes, it hurts sometimes, but there's a higher value governing how we structure our business. And man, I've seen, I've seen when it doesn't happen. It catches up to you. Is everybody with me? So these core values, um, <coughs> the word passionate, uh, the word passion means to suffer. We've kind of romanticized that in our culture. What are you passionate about doing? Basically, what you're asking people is, what are you willing to suffer for? Woo! When you start thinking about core values, that's the question, because you will suffer as a parent when you implement them. <laughs> it's like, it's coming. <laughs> so, so the goal for core values is that they're healthy, they're intentional, um, they're self-caring, they, they there's other, they're other-focused in their growth oriented, but we're willing to sacrifice for them. And every core value has to be defined. You have to define core values because um, values guide behavior, but they're not necessarily behavior. Let me give you an example. I asked somebody, uh, we were doing this, writing these things out with somebody, and they're like, prayer is a value. I'm like, that's great, but prayer is behavior. And um, you can have behaviorally oriented values. I'm not saying you can't, but I said, listen, the Pharisees prayed um, and Jesus prayed. What do you think those value systems were in the praying? Right? Prayer, prayer was an outworking of a relational value of love and connection for Jesus. He needed the Father. He loved the Father, was connected to the Father. It was show for the Pharisees. And, and I'm not saying some of them weren't genuine in the best ways they knew how, but it wasn't necessarily the connection piece that they were, that, 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 while they were praying in front of everybody. So um, I'll give you a few examples. So we have eight core family values, and I don't necessarily recommend you have more than eight. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit as we get into writing family values. But love, for example, love is about fostering commitment and connection that promotes shared positive emotion. That's how we define love. It comes from research uh, out of North Carolina. Basically, if you want to foster love with someone, foster small moments of connection that foster shared positive emotion. Contentment, gratitude, thankfulness. Those are the kind of things that foster healthy connection and love between people. It's that simple. And if you're not fostering connection on purpose, you're unintentionally driving disconnection. Think about that for a minute. I think a lot of times in our parenting, we're unintentionally driving disconnection just because we struggle to connect. So we want to simplify this thing. Um, so a lot of my value of love is just connecting with my kids. And so sometimes that's me being present for baseball practices. Um, we play games. We try to eat as much as we possibly can together every night. And some of that's changing with sports, but that's been the goal. Every time we eat, we say, what's your rose thorn and bud? What went well today, your rose? What sucked today? What, what part of your day was bad? Helping them say it out loud is important because they can say it out loud and it doesn't color the whole day. This was great. This wasn't so great. And the bud is what you're looking forward to. And every night when we have dinner together, we're going through that with my kids. Integrity is being honest and doing the right thing to the best of your ability even when no one is watching. There's also another definition we have, but that's the, 
Respect is about honoring people in the position whether we like them or not. So whatever your political inclinations are, I don't let my kids talk negatively about anyone in office. I say, if you got an issue with somebody in office, you need to talk about the issue, not attack their character. We don't know their character. God's going to deal with them on that. It's just how we foster respect. Um, and it helps foster critical thinking. Because my 13-year-old starts talking about you know, um, something that she heard off. It's like, hey, uh-uh. You know, it's attack character. What is the actual issue you have a problem with? Responsibility, taking ownership for everything in my sphere of influence, including my attitudes. Wonder, having a sense of awe in the unknown, that helps us foster intellectual curiosity with our kids. Uh, it helps us lean in, and um, as a psychologist, it helps me lean in and not see the person in front of me as the sum of their struggle. People are way more than the sum of what they're dealing with. So here's the point. When you start thinking about core values, you want to be sure that you're clearly defining those core values. So the value is not the behavior. The value is what's guiding those behaviors. So faith is not one of our core values because our faith is being driven by love. Does that make sense? You can have faith as a core value. That's awesome. It just sort of comes under the umbrella of love for us. How are we doing? Is this making sense? Any thoughts right now? All right. So when you start to lay out the values, you get into the mentoring piece. And mentoring is taking our children past obedience to understanding. Past obedience to understanding. So it's that next slide. Thank you. Mentoring leads my children past the what and into the why. So it's working on that collaborative relationship that we have with our kids. Um, Ultimately, the primary goal of mentoring our children is health and growth from those core values. So mentoring's related to teaching, but they're different in the sense that uh, Teaching is about content, but mentoring is about context. I don't want to just teach my kid a content. I want to help them contextualize what's going on. And they overlap. I'm not saying they don't overlap. But you want to be sure that you're really leaning into the context of what's going on. So instead of walking my kids through some predetermined curriculum for life, that mentoring, I'm doing life with my kids. I'm walking with my kids. If my kids are struggling, I'm going to get in it with them. I'm not going to throw out the concept and walk away. I'm staying connected. And there's a few areas that are really, really, really important um, when it comes to mentoring. Intentionality, pursuit, time, feedback, and critical thinking. The, The other thing about a mentoring model, and we'll get into these, but there's a, there's a pastor in a book, and I can't remember the book right now, but he talks about learning on a need-to-know, need-to-grow basis. A lot of parenting from a mentoring perspective is about helping your kids know what they need to know and grow what they, when they need to grow when those things are necessary. Contextualize. So intentionality. Mentoring. So we've got our values, and then we've got the, uh, the mentoring. Mentoring takes intentionality. Um, It is an attitude. So when you think about 
the anatomy of every experience that we have. This is the anatomy of every experience we have. But in the middle, this is the anatomy of every attitude that we have. Every single attitude consists of thoughts, behaviors, emotions, and the body. How many of you have had a kid who you asked them to do something they were like, don't, uh-uh, don't take that attitude with me. How'd you know they had an attitude? They didn't say anything. It's the body. It's affect. That's why when we're helping our kids foster particular attitudes, I don't need them to feel it to help them foster it. Like an apology. I don't need my kid to feel sorry for violating a value. I need them to practice the apology of it. Does that make sense? So if I'm thinking about fostering an attitude of intentionality towards mentoring my kids, I'm thinking about my own thoughts, my own behaviors, my own emotional state, my own body, positioning myself, looking my kids in the eyes, stewarding my own physiological responses in how I'm connecting with my kids in any given moment. Does that make sense? The body's unbelievably important in how we communicate and connect and foster attitudes. If I want to love my kid, I'm not just going to pat them on the back of the head and keep rolling. I've got work to get down on one knee, or if they're adults, look them in the eye. I love you. I tell my kids all the time, why do I love you? Because I'm your son. I, I was doing a training for this bunch of therapists, and I got this idea. This was a few years ago, so Jude's nine now. He's a lot younger. He's probably five. So I, 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 I get this idea. I'm going to FaceTime my, my five-year-old and ask him this question in front of a bunch of therapists. It was a terrible idea. Because so, anything can happen, right? So I called, the, I called that little booger up, and I was like, Jude, I need you to help me teach. He said, okay. So Mel, Mel, Melody, my wife, is with him. She says, uh, and she's like, oh, Jesus. What are we doing? I said, Jude, I want you to tell everybody, why do I love you? And there was a pause. And I, I guarantee you, I sweated out my shirt. I, I was, and that little booger said, because I'm your son, and I lost it. I didn't realize. I tear up thinking about it right now. That it was in him enough. And it's never too late to start. It's never too late. Um, leaning in, intentionally working to connect. Pursuit. Pursuit's the behavioral outworking of intentionality. We've got to pursue our kids. And it seems so simple. But how often are we pursuing everything else to provide for them, but we're not pursuing them? How do we lean in? Work to connect. Um, think, about, think about this for a second. I want you to, um, if you're, if you're in a, a group or couple, you can stay in that couple. But if you're sitting around, um, I know we got... Um, Get in like groups of two, three, or four. And I'll just take a minute and think about each one of your kids. And I want us to talk about for a minute, how do I, when I think about this particular kid, how can I be more intentional in my mind 
and work that out behaviorally in my pursuit to connect with this particular kid. Is that fair enough? So you don't have to move if you're together like that, but kind of get in a group of a few of you, and let's think through this for a minute. Let me say this too, as you talk about this, how, how do I be more intentional inwardly, pursue my kid outwardly while you talk about each kid? Pay attention to yourself. What parts am I experiencing as I think about that particular kid? Just get curious. You don't have to do anything with it, but just get curious about what's going on with you as you talk about each kid. All right, keep going.
They went up and she went up. They went up and she went up. And I was like, Since this phase now has really been tested, you know, yeah. we have to just kind of hold the line and stay cool. And I, I think it's in, it's in those parts of the world you got to keep them cool. And that's, that's where making them explain and really defining it out. Because they're like kids are figuring out what does it mean to grow up and go to the Those Those specific values are kind of really what sparked it for them. It's so great. I mean, just the, the it was eye opening to think about. All right, all right. So what's um what's coming up? Did, did anything take anybody off guard? In other words, as you were talking about some of your kids, did any of you be like, I can't believe a part of me feels that way? No? Right there? God bless you. No, you got some honesty back there. 
So, <laughs> um, yeah, but, but here's the deal. If we don't pay attention to those parts of who we are as parents, we'll inevitably act out of them, right? So as we're, as we're paying attention to the different parts of us, we can get curious about those parts, speak for those parts of us, not from those parts of us, right? Hey, I'm really angry with you right now for disrespecting me. It's okay to be upset. It's not okay for you to disrespect me in the process because you're violating our core value of respect. You're not honoring me as your dad right now. Giving that kind of a language, bringing them back into a conversation. And listen, it doesn't mean it's always working in the moment. Values-based parenting is a longer-term process of raising people that know how to live in line with him and in line with the world around them in ways that are actually healthy and growth-oriented. We good? All right. So, so in values-based parenting, values are the foundation, the framework, and the guide from which we're mentoring our children. And listen, here's the deal, too. I, I am a Christian, and I believe that the Bible is relevant for all eternity, and there's a reason why I think that. That's not just, I'm not just throwing that out. But even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a believer, these are, these are things that can help organize your life where you come up with a core set of values, and you're not operating out of the chaos of life and what's happening anymore. Is that, is that fair? Is everybody, is everybody with me? All right. I, I think there's so many biblical ideas that are generalizable, that bring life and wealth just because of what they are. And values-based parenting, values-based living is a, is a, is a part of that. So um, our values are guiding how we interact with our kids. So on a regular basis, we might be saying things like, based on our values, what do you think is the best response here? So if a kid comes to you and goes, I don't know what to do, instead of just telling them what to do, go, hey, we've been talking about values lately, right? I mean, we got, what are our values? Okay, let's go look at them. We look at them, we define them. Okay, well, based on our values as a family, what do you think is the best response here? Well, my daughter was um, about three years ago. Uh, she had a, a group of friends that started bullying her other friends so she would only spend time with them. And she didn't do anything about it. And her inaction caused her other friends to not want to spend time with her anymore. And so we started talking about it, and they were like, well, what do we do? And I was like, well, Meme, her name's uh, Anna Margaret. I messed up her birth certificate, by the way. She has a double name, Anna Margaret. Mel was knocked out when they brought the paper in. And so I put Anna in the first name, Margaret in the second name. Uh, not that any of you care about that. I'm just having a moment right here. So her name's Anna Margaret, but, uh, <clears throat> but Maggie and call her May May and Pookie Nations and all sorts of stuff. Anybody nickname their kids? They're at that age now, they're like, Dad, no. No, 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 which makes me want to do it more. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, I nicknamed my wife once, Bisquick shall be thy name. And you have to say it just like that. So instead of saying Melody, I was like, hey, Bisquick shall be thy name. That didn't last very long. I still think it's funny, and since she's not here, I decided to tell you. Um, it's a values-based decision that I'll probably pay for if she ever finds out about that. 
Um, <laughs> so I, t- I told Maggie, Mag, what decision, what value? She was like, well, they're violating my value of respect and love. They're being disrespectful to me and my friends. I said, all right, man, how are you going to handle it? She said, I'm going to go tell them. Well, okay, man, man, you go do that. So the next day, at, she's probably, you know, 10. She walks up. She's like, listen, you violating my family values of love and respect, and I ain't going to put up with it anymore. So she lost all of her friends for about two weeks. <laughs> so she had to deal with the loneliness of her inaction and the loneliness of her values-based action. Ten years old. She felt the consequences of both. And after about two weeks, everybody started realizing, oh, may may set some boundaries so I can start hanging out so the group that that, that were being bullied started hanging out with her, and the, and the friends that were bullying walked up and was like, listen, we're sorry. And it doesn't always work out that way, but I was super grateful to the Lord that it did because, I, I, you know, that stuff gets complicated, but my 10-year-old walked up in there and just dropped a hammer with some values. Uh, <laughs> but that's the mentoring piece that I'm talking about. I'm not just interested in telling my kids what to do. I want to help them think through this thing in a way that's actually meaningful. Every now and then, we'll do things like we were watching Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. You know how um, Charlie takes the everlasting gobstopper, and he like just walks up, and he puts it on Wonka's desk, and he turns around. And that's when Wonka realizes, Charlie's it. I'm going to give it to Charlie. No, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. All right. I hit it, and I was like, guys, what value was that? And I don't suggest that you do that on every movie you watch with your kids, but um, they're like, oh, responsibility and integrity. Okay, it's great. But I'm just looking for ways to, um, I got to tell you this last one too. So courage is one of our core family values. And the way we define it is taking heart even when fear is present. So I don't want to tell my kids don't have fear, don't be afraid. Um, what I want to tell my kids is acknowledge it, pay attention to it, and then go do it anyway. I want them to get authority over fear because authority over something is more important than the absence of it. Think about that for a minute. We're going to talk about that Sunday morning. But your authority over something like fear is more important than the absence of it in your life. So we w- we'll want to get anxiety to go away, but if, that, if we're operating out of the values of comfort, we might actually sabotage growth, give in, and feed the beast to make the anxiety worse over time. I want them to have authority. So we're riding to my, my, my son's first ever baseball tournament, first ever baseball tournament. And uh, he was like, Dad, I'm scared. I was like, okay, what, what you mean, bro? He's like, what if I'm going to strike out? I was like, okay. I was like, you afraid you're going to strike out in front of everybody? He was like, yeah. I was like, all right, listen, I want you to close your eyes. He was like, all right. I said, I want you to see the fear, son. It's a total nerd psychology move right here. See the fear. He kind of smiled. He's like, I said, can you see the fear that you feel? He's like, yeah, Dad. I was like, I want you to growl at it. He opened his eyes like, what? It's like, growl, growl at that thing, man. So he closed his eyes. He starts growling as fear starts laughing. I said, buddy, courage is a core family value in our, in our, for us. Well, you take heart even when you're afraid. And I don't care if you feel like your body can't even move. You're so afraid. Go handle business. And if you strike out, hmm, we'll learn from it. That brother had a 100% on base percentage the entire baseball tournament. Now, again, it doesn't always work out that way. And he has struck out multiple times since. <laughs> but 
he's turning into a pretty good little baseball player because he's learning how to get authority over his fear and anxiety. He's sticking with it. He's practicing. And that's what I'm just trying to impart, trying to impart. Now, listen, I also realize that there's anxiety that can shut us down. Those are different things, right? I'm not, we're not minimizing all that. The point I'm making is how do we engage struggle? How do we mentor our kids through values? That's just one example on how to do it. Is that, is that good? Let's go, bro. Let's go. All right. Um, <laughs> so here's the point. Proactively filling our kids' lives with the right things, not just what not to do. But no, this is what to do. These are our core values. This is how we lean in. So in the mentoring, we've got, I mean, in the values-based parenting model, we've got the values. We're going to talk about that before we leave tonight. How do we start to establish these things? We've got um, the mentoring piece where I'm showing up with my life with intentionality and pursuit and all of these areas of mentoring. I'm using my values to mentor. The third area of values-based parenting is affirmation. It's affirmation. Um, I really believe that affirmation of our children activates and solidifies several things in their life that set them up for health and success down the road. Um, And when I talk about affirmation in our context, it is the declaration of and the reinforcement of positive truths regarding our kids through our words and our presence. Let me say that again. It is the declaration of and reinforcement of positive truths regarding someone particularly our children, but also our partners, spouses, also the other people in our lives. If you're a single parent, like there's a, tons of single parents uh, in here, I'm sure. How do you affirm not just your kids, but yourself? De- declaring these things. There's, a, there's four areas of emphasis when it comes to affirmation. And let me say this, affirmation is non-contingent. We do not withhold it. We, we, we articulate a violation. That has to do with behavior. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And we can give consequences. We can discipline. When it comes to affirmation, affirmation is non-contingent. And the first area is identity. It's the affirmation of who they are. The reason that I look at my kids on a regular basis and say, why do I love you? And they go, because I'm your daughter, because I'm your son, is because I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can to speak into their identity regarding who they are to me. I don't care what you do. I may be disappointed in you sometimes because what you do is sabotaging your life, and I don't want to see you do that, but I will always love you. You will always always be my daughter, my son. I'm always affirming identity. Identity, identity, identity. I know a lot of you, a lot of us, have had experiences where that was not affirmed non-contingently. And we carry broken parts of us because of it. Going through life trying to perform to earn people's love, trying to caretake for other people's love. And we end up parenting our kids in that way. And if you remember, you don't have to feel 
like fostering affirmation. You don't have to feel like affirming to foster it. Does that make sense? So I can be frustrated with my kid and still affirm their identity. The second affirmation is of their worth. You are worth everything in the world to me. I love you. You have intrinsic worth because of who you are. God loves you, and there is a purpose for your life, which is the third thing. There is a calling, an invitation by God, a purpose for your life to exist in the earth and do, do something that is bigger and greater than all of us. Meaning is one of the most important aspects of well-being. And as parents, if we're affirming the purpose of our children, we're affirming their well-being overall, and we're giving them a language. We're giving them a language to understand who they are what they're worth, and what they can do. Now listen, I I am also, what I'm not saying is I'm not the biggest fan of telling kids they can do whatever they want to do. Some of you may be like, oh, you're a terrible father for that. I I, I borderline have a mathematics disorder. I can barely add and subtract. I I have a hard time, I can't can't hardly see it in my mind. I understand statistics better because I connect it. Like, so I could have gone through school thinking I'm an idiot, and sometimes I am, but I just found what I was good at and what I love studying and what I love doing, and I just kept going with my education in there. But I really struggle with math. I'm not going to be a mathematician. If someone would have told me you can do anything you want, bud, just put your mind to it, that mathematician piece, I'm like, I, what we want to do is affirm the, the fourth part, and that's their actual strengths. We don't have to lie to our children to prop up a fragile ego. I, that's, I don't think that's what parenting's about. I affirm their identity to me. It's not contingent. I affirm their worth to me. I affirm that there is a purpose, even though they may not know it yet, there is a purpose on their life, the reason that they are here, and they have God-given strengths to be able to live this thing out. Go to the very last page of your handout. Mark where you are and go to the very last page. And it is, it's called the VIA, V-I-A, Youth Character Strengths. There's 24 of them. Everybody see that? <laughs> if you have a kid who's a younger adolescent and you're interested in understanding their core character strengths, then uh, send them to take the survey. It's free. You can take it. It's 24 research-based character strengths that help us understand our children. And if you are in a season with your kids that's just chaos, I'm good, but thank you, though. Thank you for offering that. If you're in a season with your kids that's in chaos, that chaos is so hard to get out of. But if you can start identifying what your kids, are, their top five to eight core character strengths, and speaking into those things, it is a game changer. Let me give you an example. Maggie, one of my, my daughter's core character strengths is humor. She's also 13. So strengths have shadow sides, so we've got to work them out and sharpen them. If any of you have a child who's had humor as a core character strength, then you've wanted to kill them at some point because they made the most inappropriate joke possible for a laugh. <laughs> it may be funny, but they embarrassed you. They did whatever. Listen. Humor is what's called a transcendent character strength. In other words, 
kids who have humor as a strength are trying to work out this strength to rise above difficult situations. It's actually an amazing gift. We just got to help them sharpen it. So instead of getting mad at Maggie, which is what we used to do, she'd get in trouble for making jokes. Now it's like, hey, Maggie, come here. That was funny. I give it to you. It's inappropriate. It's an inappropriate joke. And I know, I know it was a hard situation, but you made a joke at your mom's expense. It's not okay because you also disrespected her in the process. I need you to apologize. I don't care if she feels sorry. I'm not demanding she feel that way. I'm demanding she put our values in action. Right? You go, Mom, I apologize to you. But we don't drop the hammer in the same way that we used to because I also empathize that. So my next question is, hey, what was difficult about that situation for you that you cracked a joke to try to transcend it or elevate it? But Daddy was just uncomfortable. I, like, I just felt like y'all were talking about some things, and like, I just didn't know what to do, and I, I just felt inadequate. I, and I was like, okay, that's fair, babe. Next time, just tell us that. And then let's think about how you could have used humor in a different way. Maybe you could have told us that, and then after everyone left, cracked the, that inappropriate joke. Right? Then we'd have probably gotten a chuckle out of it. Now what I'm doing is I'm trying to shape and mentor her, and you don't have to have all the answers for this. It's a journey. It's just a journey. We get in this thing. We get in it with our kids. We start learning it. There's also the via character for um, adults, and that's a a page up. If you want to check that out, if you've got questions about that, we can talk through it. Um, All right. So go back to the placeholder on affirmation. We want, we want our values. We want to mentor our kids, lean in, using our values, connecting them to their strengths. And we want to affirm their identity, their worth, their purpose, and their strengths. Notice we haven't talked about answering the questions yet that you guys sent in. Let me ask this question. Based on our current conversation do any of you feel like you're sort of getting an answer on a next step with the question you asked before you came? A lot of you are nodding your head. Yep. I didn't have to give you the what to do. My, my job as a psychologist is to work myself out of a job with every single person I serve. That's it. And, and then just support people as, as I need to. So, Periodically ask yourself, am I intentionally and regularly affirming my child's identity, worth, purpose, and strengths? Take a few, just a few moments, and then we're going we're gonna, to um, hop down and talk about values as we wrap this up. Take a few moments and think about your kids. Go to the list in the back of your handout. Think about your kids and look at that core character strength. Just read through them. And if one of them jumps out at you about your kids, write their name by it.
if you notice that your kids do some of these things naturally, just write their name down. While you do it, what's this like to think about your kids from the context of their strengths? I have another question. You don't, you don't necessarily have to say anything, but have any of you had a kid that you've really been struggling with? You're looking at this character strengths list, and it's starting to change your perspective of your kid. Is that, is that happening right now with anyone? Yeah, I'm seeing some nods, yeah. One, my youngest, Jude, pretty sure, I mean, I mean, he's all over the place, right? That brother's bouncy. He's, like, we're all sitting at the table, and I look over there at Jude, and Jude's, like, in the corner doing this. That's, that's his normal role. And I realized zest is a character strength of my night. He loves life. In fact, it was his zest, ironically, that got him booted for a few weeks out of B kids. <laughs> he was just having a dang old good time. Loving life. Didn't know what hit him. What do you mean I can't go back in there? He didn't get in trouble. We had a conversation with him. We explained to him how what he did was came across as disrespectful. It didn't honor his teacher. Son, do you understand where we're going with this? Son, what was a better response there? Well, I shouldn't have spit the thing out of my mouth. Yep. I need you, you're going to have to apologize. He called his, his youth pastor, my nine-year-old. Hey, pastor, it's Jude. I want to apologize to you. Thank you, buddy. Man, I love you, Jude. My pastor... My youth pastor, my kid's pastor, was able to affirm his love for Jude. Jude was a little bit apprehensive about going back in, but he's crushing it now because my pastor's jumped in and just kept loving him. Does that, does that make sense? So, zest. A few, few more moments if, if you want to look at that. But some of you are nodding. You're seeing your kid just a little differently as you're going through these strengths. Oh, 15 months old. <laughs> 15 months old. Um, I, it, I mean, there's just no way to know right now. He's 15 months. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of curiosity development. In fact, you're in a really good position right now because the fact that you're able to think through and ask these kinds of questions right now, work out what your core values are and what that really means for you, how you parent, how you lean in. And we can talk about the practical stuff of this, and we're going to some tomorrow. I am going to answer a lot of those questions tomorrow based on the values-based piece. Um, so you can kind of see some of the thought processes. But you're in a really, really good position right now. Um, uh, and like somebody asked a question about tantrums too. I know I joked about it earlier, but we can 100% talk about that tomorrow. 
Um, I mean, we all throw, I'm 43 and I throw tantrums periodically. My wife has to, you know, pray. All right. <laughs> all right. Go, go to page, I'm pretty sure it's page 23. It says part two, establishing core values. And this will be where we need to jump down just a minute um, in, our, in my slides, <laughs> where you see that list of core values. It's on page 21. Thank you. It says the top five values. So I'm going to give you some homework. Because there's, all right, so there's the values list. So I'm going to give you some homework. This list is not exhaustive. So if there's a value on here that you're interested in, then, then, um, then write it in there. Tonight, tomorrow morning as we go through this, I want you to think, so if you're, if you're married or you're partnered, I don't, I don't want you to do this together yet because I want you to actually think about this as an individual. What does this mean for who I am as an individual? And then what am I bringing to my, my partnership and my marriage? But so the first thing that we'll do is think for a few minutes about what your own values are and I know I say without referring to the list below, but what do you think your values are? And here's a really good way to start figuring that out. When somebody does something that really drives you crazy and you want to karate chop them in the throat, I'm not suggesting violence, but bad joke, put them in a chokehold or whatever. What value are they violating? Think about that. If someone... Just turn the screws and it drives you nuts. What value are they violating? If you've noticed, in, that's question one, to start thinking through your own personal core values. And just write what comes up. If you have noticed that in your life you have been willing to sacrifice and suffer for decisions that you've made, what value was guiding that particular decision. Um, integrity is very important to me. I don't always get it right, but I'm going to do the best I can to do the right thing even when no one is watching. But the other part of wholeness or integrity is wholeness. So if I'm disintegrated, then I have parts of me that are operating uh, on their own, not as a part of the whole of who I am. And so if I am disintegrated, I lack integrity because I'm not operating as a whole. That part of me may operate rogue and I do something that I regret. So I want to do the right thing even when, though no one's watching. And I also want to move towards wholeness. So I am willing to sacrifice any aspect of my money with our business or whatever for my integrity. It's just an example. I don't always get that right. Here's the other thing about values. Values may guide our behavior, but values also help us handle, handle it when we fail the very values that we say are core. Think, think about that. If I lie about something and I realize I just violated my value of integrity, that value of integrity then moves me to go apologize and confess it. 
Does that make sense? We're not talking about perfection. Bump that. Who cares about perfection? that, That eats us alive on the inside. We are imperfect people who are striving to live by these core values. Thank God by the power of the Holy Spirit if we're believers. But I'm going to fail, but my values help me in my failure. They help guide and move me. Are we good? All right. So that's the first part. When I've been willing to sacrifice for something, what value is guiding it? When people do things that make me very, very angry, what value got violated? Then go to number two, review all those values, circle them, and then in part three, prioritize them. Now, this says five. We have eight. I don't really recommend more, more than eight because you can start to have values that overlap. So what you want to do as you start to think about your values and write them down, give a language, start to think like, so is there an umbrella piece of this? So faith is very important to us. But it's not faith for faith's sake. It's faith for relationship, love's sake. So faith for us actually comes under a few of our core values. One's love. The other's wonder. David Jeremiah says the capacity to wonder is the open doorway to worship. I love that quote. Think about trauma. So much of trauma shuts down our ability to wonder, to have awe in the things around us because if all we're doing is surviving, because of trauma or the things that have happened in our lives, we can't look up and see the beauty that exists. So faith for me comes under love and wonder. So as you're writing these things down, think through like what what values seem to be the overarching values in my life that really govern? And then as you get those five to eight, write them down in the next section, and start to define them. Because it is the definition that helps us connect behaviors to the values. Respect. Honoring people and position. So like, when I say position, it's like, I don't have to, whether I love the president or don't like the president is irrelevant regarding respect. President's in a position of authority, and I will honor that position. If I have an issue with the policy, I'll speak to the policy, not the person. I honor, right? So if my daughter says, like, don't tell me what to do, it's like, okay. Listen, if you got an issue with what we're saying, that's fine. Let's have a conversation about it. But you will not disrespect your mom or me in the process. You will honor her as your mother. You will watch your tone because it comes out. And so let's do this again, May May. What's a different way to communicate that you have an issue with what we just asked you to do, but in a way that honors your mom? Does that make sense? It, that's the values-based piece and how we give that a language. So the definitions are what help us practice the mentoring, connect, and as it, as it gets in your kids, they start asking the same questions. So we've been doing this now for several years. This, I know sometimes people come in and they talk about things. We're living this thing out. This is how we parent our kids. And 
there's other things that our kids have needed. Specific, my son has, um, my, my youngest has uh, some sensory issues, and so we've had to add a few other things to his, uh, how we parent him. He's gotten some PT, some OT. He's doing really, really well. Um, he needs hugs, so like he'll, he'll run and slam into you sometimes. He's not being disrespectful, but um, he just needs movement and weight, so he has a weighted blanket now. Like when I hug him, I hold him real, 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 real tight because he, he needs the stimulation. It's one of the reasons he's a good athlete. He'll run you over. Um, he will run. He was playing flag football. I was like, son, this ain't like, this ain't like 1970s where you're clipping people through the, it's like, bro, you, you chill out, bro. Like, getting flags on. But we've had to learn how to navigate some of that, right? So anything that we need to add on top of this, we do. But we're living this thing out, and we don't always get it right. I know I teach this stuff. I, I, I write it. I, wrote it I, I get that. But guys, we're all in this together. It is a journey. None of us get it right all the time. And let me say, it is never too late to start. Never. How we doing? Nobody's going to sleep on me. So I think we're rocking and rolling pretty well. All right. Do we, before we wrap this up, because we're done for tonight, any lingering questions for the homework, what to look through, anything stand out to you right now? How we doing? All right. Yes. I'd involve them in the process. I would involve your kids in the process when you start doing it as a family. So a lot of times with, with older kids, like even kids that are 10, 11, 12 years old, into young adulthood, 20s, even 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds. I've, I've worked with grandparents to do this with their grown, you know, I'm 43, so I've had people my age doing it with grandparents and stuff. You walk in and go, hey, I love you. And I know that there are things I did that were great as a mom and things I didn't. But I'm learning some new things right now that I think could shift and change your life if we lean into them. And I want to lean into them together. And it's, it's just understanding and giving a language to our values. So I want to invite you into this process with me. What do you think our values were as, as, a, as a family with you growing up in the house? It, it, who knows what you'll hear, right? Um, well, these are the things I'm working on right now for my own life. What do you think that looks like for you? And starting that relational conversation, it goes back to the mentoring piece, just being able to lean in and ask them those kinds of questions. Does that help? Yeah, I just approach it relationally. With your parents? That's a, that's a, that's a little bit of a different dynamic. Um, I would still do it in the same way relationally and invite them into that process. But what I would say is you, you, you don't, you may feel the responsibility to parent your parents, but that's not your responsibility. And I think we'll take on things that 
weigh on our souls because we love people and want to see them change, but we actually have no authority or power to do anything about it. So the thing that you can do is invite them into the process with you. That's, I think, our responsibility in a lot of ways is almost always invitation. It's just invitation. Does does that make sense? Um, So you can invite them in, show them, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Mom, Dad, these were, I think, the values that you were living by. And I realize we may not always did well, but here's what I think your core values have been just seeing as a kid and giving them that kind of feedback and, Overbearing parents. Yeah. 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 Control. Control can be a core value for a lot of parents, and uh, and and a lot of times that boils down to just fear, and protection. Um, but yes, it can be really hard. Just those boundaries and what that looks like and. Yes. Yeah. So a, a lot. So this comes up a lot in my work with families. It, it comes. You have to ask yourself, what do I have authority over? Where? What is my domain of authority? And that's where I'm going to start. And, and then request or invite that there be things that are um, respected in the other home. And you may not always be able to control that, but what I've found with kids is they've gotten older in blended families where one parent parents in one way and the other parents in a healthier way. So one parent's not healthy, the other parent is healthy, and that family system's healthy, is that the unhealthy parent tends to hang themselves over time. And I hate watching that happen, but we have no control over it. And that doesn't mean we have to slander or whatever. It also helps how we talk about the other parent. For example, instead of attacking the other parent's character, it's like, hey, son, or daughter, whatever. When these things pop up, just think about, like, what are our values as a family? And while you may be, um, while it may be permitted, this is biblical, it's not always beneficial. And what's beneficial is the things that line up. And I just want to challenge you. I love you. Do things when you're there that line up with your core values of who we are as a family and having those kind of conversations. And then a lot of it is being able to recognize that and manage the tension of your own parts in that process. I don't know. Is that helpful? Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, one of the most difficult things, particularly with, with kids who are struggling with focus and things like that, is um, we tend to think that engagement in a moment is going to determine the ultimate outcome. And that's not actually true. What's more, imp- what, what's more important, um, and I have to do this with a little bit with my youngest, but what's more important is your consistency. 
than their response. Does, does that make sense? So, like, your kid maybe, how, how, do you mind telling me how old your kid is? Okay. Okay, okay. So, a lot of action, right? Unless they're um, inattentive and not hyperactive, and that's a different conversation, right? But, but, but if, if everybody's bouncing off the walls and stuff, then you, you'll, it doesn't mean you don't impart the values. Um, what it means is you set up the core values, and you have to drip them in. Boom, boom, drip, drip, drip. And then all of the other interventions that you need, you can take those and apply them and build on top of the values-based thing and praise them so when they do things well, leverage their core strengths, help focus them, et cetera. That's a little bit of a broader conversation. But my encouragement to you is just because they're struggling to get it right now doesn't mean that the seed you're planted and you're planting and watering is not going to take fruit. They're kids. Our prefrontal cortex doesn't stop developing until we're about 25 years old. And while ADHD is neurological, a, a real, it gets overdiagnosed, but real ADHD, it's real, right? Brain issues, kids have a hard time focusing. Um, it never really goes away. It's neurological, but the brain develops over time. And what you're doing is as the brain develops, you're, you're, you're watering a DNA in them that down the road you'll see the fruit of. Is that you with me? So be encouraged. Um, and we can talk more about it tomorrow. Thank you. All right. I want to honor everybody's time. Um, y'all, thank you for the questions. We're probably going to hit a lot of the questions that you sent in, but if you've got other questions and you want to talk through those, we absolutely can, can do that. If I don't know an answer, I'll tell you I don't know an answer. Um, but, uh, yeah, we can talk through it. Uh, I do, and my team does. The, the thing about the online therapy piece, we can do a lot of online cross-state coaching. Um, I'm not licensed in the state to practice as a psychologist, and so there's some ethical issues associated with that. But, um, but if anybody's interested in therapy or coaching or counseling, uh, I, I can help you um, ask the right questions to get the right person. Um, and maybe that's a, something we could talk through as well. All right, uh, can I pray for us? Or do you want, Lord, we thank you for this time. And uh, thank you that you, I, I know a lot of people, when we hear the word Father, people think and feel all sorts of things. But God, you are a loving, good Father. And I pray that you give us a revelation, a deeper revelation about what that means for us, and it overflows into how we love and parent our kids. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for this time. Amen. Amen.